As we're continuing on in this series, 1 Peter, it, we really have to pick it apart because there is clearly a theme in 1 Peter of just those who are in despair, those who are facing challenges. You are chosen, you are God's children, and I encourage you to go on. But how can you go on when you feel so different than everyone around you? How can you go on when you feel maybe personally attacked in your faith? In, in our message last week, Peter just called us chosen. He called us a royal priesthood. But then what he is doing is he is transitioning to talk about, okay, so now you carry the title chosen. You carry this title royal priesthood. How do you approach the world in that? And a significant part of our faith is understanding our eternal purpose. You and I, we can, we can grab a hold of any temporary human purpose, right? I think we can. But for the last few weeks, we have addressed changing our mindset from focusing on temporary things to eternal things. Who struggles with that? Let's be honest in the, in the room this morning. I am someone, listen, we are flesh and blood human beings here. The bottom line is we get hungry, we get tired, we have needs, fleshly needs, we have things that arise where we also have wants, amen? Let's, let's be honest about those things. And so it is hard to change our mindset to things that are eternal versus things that are temporary because we live in the temporary, right? But once you start to make that transition where you are thinking about things with an eternal mindset, it changes the relationship we have in the world. And that's challenging to navigate. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are moments where you are going to feel out of place. Who has ever been somewhere where you felt totally out of place from everybody else? Um, when I was a pastor in uh, Bushnell, Illinois, there was a nationwide Christian music festival. It's the, it was the largest one in the U.S. at the time. They, they don't have it anymore. But it had been going some 30 some odd years by the time we became pastors there. And they gave all the local area pastors free tickets. And I'm seeing all these Christian artists that are coming through and I'm like, I know most of these guys and I love every single one. And so it was a five-day festival, and I was there all five days. And I remember there was eventually this point where I'm standing there getting ready for one of, my, one of my favorite bands at the time to come play, and I'm standing there with kind of anticipation, and I hear these girls behind me said, what are all these old guys doing here? <laughs> and I sat there, and I thought for a second, am I one of these old guys? Do I belong... Do they belong? Uh, and, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking around and I'm realizing the demographic my age and older represented about half the audience. And I remember today, and who's with me, I remember today where I was a part of the majority of the demographic of, of the audience, right? And so I'm looking around going, you know, I don't feel as comfortable in these settings as I used to. 
I believe that the closer we get to God, the more out of place that we are going to feel with the world in general. And so it could be your natural reaction to just, at that point, Lord, I'm just mentally checking out because I'm not comfortable here. Or we could embrace that God has given us a deep responsibility because we are in the world, as Peter is about to use the phrase, temporary residence. So I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're just going to be reading verses 11 through 12 now. Uh, There's going to be a lot of scripture today, but this is our base scripture. And so let's go ahead and dive in. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents or foreigners, some translation uses the word aliens, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Let's pray. Father God, I... Lord, we are not talking about simple things. We are talking about Romans 12, 1 principles where there's a transformation process of our mind. And God, as we're going through this series, I know that a lot of these messages, they might blend together, but I believe, Lord, what you are imploring us to do is to change our mindset. And God, that's going to take time. It's going to take processing your word and making steps. And so, Lord, I believe that today is just another step in this forward-moving relationship with you. And so, God, may our ears be open. May we be attentive today. And, Lord, may our minds be triggered by your word that we are compelled to move forward. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So, given that Peter has called us chosen, Giving us that he's called us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, it starts to determine, okay, Lord, so if I am entitled this, what is my role in this world? How, how am I supposed to move forward here? And does that mean if you are called a royal priesthood that we are all preaching from the pulpit next Sunday? It'd be a circus. And frankly, I'm staying home if that happens. Um, but to, be, to, to carry the title of priesthood is, is the way we carry ourselves when we minister to other people and who we represent. And if we're looking at the three roles that, that Peter alludes to as we, we are in this world, the first thing I see that stands out is this idea that we are aliens. You hear that term, and your mind starts racing on what that means. And did you know recently the U.S. government came out and said aliens are real? I think by saying that, they were trying to distract you from something else. And so I'm not here to answer whether or not aliens are real. Um, If you looked at um, more recent photos of Madonna, I could probably say that maybe aliens are real. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line is I hear Peter call us aliens. And what he's referring to is that we are foreigners in this world, and it can be difficult to understand this concept unless you have been put in a position outside of your comfort zone and natural world. For instance, I have met people who have never been out of the state of Iowa. Is there anyone in this room who's never been out of the state of Iowa? 
I know that's not true. Um, but but there, there are people that they, they might never leave their state their whole life, right? And so I make it my mission that my family, once a year, we go somewhere outside of the state and we have that family experience together. And the very first time I remember being in a place where I was around different kinds of people, different people groups and languages, and experiencing that for the first time, it caused me a bit of anxiety. Who can relate to that? And as strange as this sounds, it was Disney World when I was a young kid. We're at Disney World in Florida, and I'm going around, and I'm hearing all kinds of different languages around me, and I kind of feel like a minority in my own country, and I'm like, this is a strange feeling. I haven't experienced that before. And I'd like to say, in, in talking about having that experience, Peter isn't telling us to live as foreigners in other nations. He's not saying, okay, drop everything you're doing, pick a spot on the map, and go there. He is specifically speaking about being a foreigner or temporary resident where you physically reside right now. And so what he is suggesting is that our relationship with Christ, what it does is it positions us to look at this life and all our experiences as a temporary visit, similar to being a foreigner in another country. So when you decide, I'm going to take on that mindset, you think on terms of what you bring to that temporary setting and what you invest in that temporary setting and what you are going to tie your life to moving forward. Now, as Kelton spoke to earlier, you know, he's one of our five guys that are going on this trip to Thailand, and when we go there, we're gonna go there for two and a half weeks. And uh, Jamie Verl and I went on a scout trip there this last March. So I will have been there three and a half weeks within this past year, and I'm, I'm going to bring on this trip I'm going to bring just enough clothes that I'm going to do laundry once or twice. I'm going to stay at a hotel. I won't go there and buy clothes. I'm not going to, to rent an apartment out. I'm not going to buy furniture. I'm not going to do things that would signal that I'm staying there. It's a very temporary time there. So the question becomes, what does it look like if we are temporary residents where we physically reside, how are we investing in this life versus investing in that eternal life? What I believe is he's ultimately asking us to do is for us to focus on living for the eternal and not the temporary, investing in the eternal, not the temporary, and taking on a mindset that we stay away from worldly desires as a dangerous exercise. Let's take a brief moment as a community Maybe a couple people shout out things that can distract us that are worldly. Just simple things. TV, cell phone, what? The news. Social media, sports. We can go on and on. Like so many different things, right? Like we can talk about the simplest things in this life that clearly in and of themselves aren't sinful, but they are that worldly distraction that cause us to think worldly. 
I'm telling you right now, if I, talk, if I thought about all the worldly desires I have, the thing that I think about the most, and this is not a slight to anyone here, is retirement. I think about retirement all the time. I want to be financially prepared for it. I want to know that when that time fully comes, I'm just like, I just can't do it anymore. That I can live comfortably. And that after I decide I'm retired, I don't, I don't work And I don't know how realistic that is given the direction our economy is headed, but ultimately, that's a worldly desire, right? That's a very worldly mindset. And just because I have earmarked that time as to when I long to retire doesn't mean that I'm just going to be done being a minister and ministering. But that we know as a whole, amassing wealth is a worldly distraction. Seeking a position or a specific career as a life goal can be a worldly distraction. Quite simply, anything in life can be a worldly distraction if it takes your eyes off of God. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 2. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. I had someone ask me this week. They said, what does it mean to be a mature Christian versus an immature Christian? And I had to really sit and think about that. And I said, there are certain earmarks that show us whether or not we are walking in a maturity in Christ or we're walking in an immaturity in Christ. But who knows that all of us start out very immature. All of us do. So there, there's, there's nothing higher about you because you have reached maturity. It is where you are at in your walk with Christ. But I thought about one of the ways that we show we have reached maturity in Christ is that when we approach God, it is no longer about us. It's about him. So when we start approaching God because of who he is, not because of our situation, not because of the dire needs and straits that we're in, but because of who he is and we just want to be closer to him, that's when maturity starts to set in. A lot of that has to do with what we're thinking about. And that's what Paul is basically alluding to here in Colossians is that it matters what we think on. Regularly. And I don't know about you, but the more I have been attached to my phone, the more I have found myself being programmed to think a certain way that's not healthy. And so I have gotten to the point where there are, there, there's much of my life now where I am intentionally, A, leaving the phone off, setting the do not disturb, or, or setting it somewhere and just making a vow, making a public vow to my family, hey, Beat me over the head if I touch my phone this afternoon. And it's, it's those kind of approaches that I realize I am doing this for my own mental health. And so there, there, there are practical steps, I believe, that we can take to overcome our fleshly desires. And we could break this down so it could be a vast number of things we talk about because we know worldly desires, if we want to really pinpoint things, the list would be so long we'd be here for weeks, right? 
But here's just three practical steps to overcoming fleshly desires. The first one. And on the whole, uh, an unbeliever or someone who isn't new or, or is new to this might not understand what I'm saying, but give me a moment. Consider yourself dead to the flesh. And what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 6, verses 11, is that when Jesus died, our flesh died with him. So that the moment you choose to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, what you don't realize you are doing is you are crucifying your own flesh. You are recognizing that Jesus Christ died in my place. And so now I am dead to that old life, and I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to be clear about something. You don't overcome your flesh by fighting the flesh. You know, we could pinpoint certain things and just say, I'm going to be strong, I'm going to, I'm going to overpower all those desires, and I'm going to fight them. I believe that we truly fight our flesh by coming into agreement with your mind and heart with what God says about you. So what that means is, that I'm pouring in the things of the Spirit, not things of the world. The second thing, put to death fleshly desires. And you're going to say, Pastor, doesn't that sound a lot like the last thing you said? No, no, no. See, desires within me arise all the time. It's not one thing that I'm going to be able to put to bed one day and be like, well, I've overcome that, and it's never going to be a problem again. And then there's new worldly desires that arise. And I would tell you, put to death fleshly desires on a daily basis. Listen to Genesis, or Genesis Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That means when I died to this old life, I was also dying to everything that ensnares me from getting to the ultimate goal, that is heaven. And that needs to be almost a daily basis where I am recognizing that I am putting those desires up there, and I need to, every day. Now here's the thing. Uh, so many believers have a problem with this. You can't look at the Christian life by the don'ts. I, I, when, when I was a child, I was like, okay, I can do this, and I cannot do this. And so everything was that legalistic rules to follow, which is really what they dealt with in the Old Testament until they truly understood who God was in their lives through Christ. But if we allow our hearts to become mended to God... What happens is as, as the Spirit of God is growing in our lives and we are surrendering things to him, those desires are surrendered as well the closer you draw to God. Are you, are you guys hearing me today? I, this, is, this is teaching, not preaching, but what I want you to do is I want you to acknowledge that we all struggle mentally with these worldly desires. What are we going to do to fight them? The third, 
Commit to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The key to where your Christian walk can go is determined by your communion with the Holy Spirit. Starts in prayer, fasting, reading of God's word, meditating on the things of him. So we just talked about how to kind of prepare ourselves to be this temporary resident. The next thing that I want to talk about is God's called us also to be soldiers. You know, as we're celebrating Veterans Day today, as a church, obviously it was truly celebrated yesterday, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in a war you did not sign up for. No, no one says, yeah, I, I want to do this. I, I want to fight the enemy on a daily basis. And Peter said to keep away from desires that wage war against your very souls. And it speaks to a power struggle that, that we have already discussed, the aspect of the power struggle between the flesh and spirit. But, but we also have talked about there is a spiritual war going on that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Who believes that? And so Paul alludes to this spiritual war in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd, I'd ask you to turn there, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And we're actually, we're going to read through all, uh, the, the next 18 verses. But we're going to start just 10 through 12 for right now. And he says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's acknowledge something in this room. We have been created, we have been designed by God. And outlined here, there is an enemy that wants to steer you away from that thinking. Where Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to take glory away from God. He wants to overthrow God's plan. His ultimate reality is he wants you to share in the same fate that he is going to share, he's going to have. And that's separation from God. Now, I'm not one that is quick to blame Satan for problems in my life, okay? I cause enough problems in my own life that I don't need much of his help. You guys know what I'm saying? But he does have this agenda to attack, tempt, and to distract, to talk about what we just talked about, to distract us from what is important. And so scripture is telling you, you need to be prepared for that. Listen to Ephesians 6, 13 through 18 now. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. 
Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So I, as a believer in Christ, I'm acknowledging that I am in a fight that I didn't sign up for, I didn't ask for, but I am bound and determined to be a good soldier. And to be a good soldier for God doesn't mean that we need to bring some form of Christian militia to the church. It doesn't mean that we're going to bring back the crusades and say, well, that seemed like a good idea at the time. I believe those things don't serve the interest of Christ. What they do is they they further serve a fleshly idea of what it means to be a soldier. I want to be clear about this. A good soldier is someone who realizes their position in Christ and who the real enemy is. It's Satan. And there is a spiritual battle that can only be perceived when we have the mind of the Spirit. And this is, the, this is a keen thing to tune into. You don't fight. The Lord does. I want to be clear about that. You are not the one fighting. The Lord is. Listen to Deuteronomy 24. It says, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. Who says amen to that? You see, this is the biggest key in spiritual war is accepting that without God, you are powerless against the enemy. So if you're sitting there saying, I'm ready to take Satan on, are you? I don't think so. Just because we might have to acknowledge we're powerless doesn't mean we should cower in fear. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and discipline, or sound mind. This battle that you are called to is fought in prayer. It's fought on your knees. And so what God has done is God has given you access through Jesus Christ and he has empowered you in telling you to put on every piece of God's armor, that you need to stand your ground, you need to put on the piece of the good news, hold up the shield of faith, put on salvation. And what these things do is they empower you to go to God who fights our battles for us but it requires a soldier's mindset in prayer and this battle against our flesh. And it's daily. You know, this is why I think it's so significant. Churches through the late 90s and early 2000s and a lot of the last decade, I, I believe we've started to course correct, but churches, what they do is they, they started to separate the generations. And something that I appreciate more than anything about the, the older generation as I, I work with them is I've had many say, well, I don't feel like I can do anything anymore. 
And we always think about what we can do with our hands, right? We think about how we might physically contribute. I said, no, no, no. You are coming into a season that you can be at your most valuable. Because what God brings us in position to do is learn he fights our battles if we go to him. And I know that the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing that prayer is my first weapon. It's my first weapon. And so I, I, I love having these older ones around that have had the wisdom and have seen it and seen how God can use them if they just get on their knees. If they just cry out to the Lord in their secret place. And I believe that these things empower us to go to God because we know he is the one that is fighting for us. Lastly, Peter has positioned us that we are to be ambassadors. For some of you, you might say, well, what does it mean to officially be an ambassador? And I'd say you are just a representative of God. And so Peter, what he is doing is he's telling us to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors. Paul is the one that uses the words Christ ambassadors. He says that in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead Come back to God. So this charges us with the task of that we are God's official representative now and that Christ has ascended into heaven and so we are there to represent him. And that's to everyone who's unbelieving. How do your neighbors see you? Your next door neighbor. How do they see you? How do they perceive who you are? When they look at your behaviors, do they see someone that's God-honoring? Do they see someone that's doing their own thing? Do they see someone that maybe is not the greatest example of who God is? And what does it mean to represent Christ well to them? And I want to be clear about this. It doesn't mean that all your neighbors are going to like you because you're living like Jesus. In fact, Jesus promises that the world is going to hate you. But how do you respond when they react to who you are? Are you going to be that Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 person where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount preaches one of the most counterculture messages that had ever been preached. I know that I don't want to bear false witness to who Jesus is, and it is, church, it is a travesty to claim Christ and not behave like him. And so we need to be careful. But you can't represent him if you don't know how he lived, if you don't know his agenda, or what he expects out of us. So I do encourage you to, to study Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 and really understand what it means to be counterculture and follow out after Jesus. Because many people that were hearing that, what they thought Jesus was saying was contrary to Old Testament. And it wasn't. 
It was making the Old Testament perfect through what he was saying because it's in lens of who Jesus is. But I think the most important thing we need to understand if we want to truly bear witness to him that is if we claim Christ and we don't behave like him, 1 John basically tells us we make God out to appear like a liar. I don't want to do that. So I need to know this. Listen to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Comes from where? God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that, he, that we might have eternal life through him. I love this verse. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So what I can surmise from reading that is being a representative of Christ comes from how we are to love each other. Do we get it right? No, I get it wrong all the time. But will I seek to honor God because of my witness? Representing Him well. Because I think people are drawn to God when they see God in you. And you can't mimic a God you don't spend time with. Spend time with him by reading his written word. Devoting time in prayer. To truly be an ambassador is to know the one who sent you and represent him well. Now, your testimony to others, it, it, it can come in some form of, of what you say, but it might start with what you don't say. But what you do. Because even if you've never spoken a word to your neighbors, they're watching your actions, they're watching your behaviors. They might see that vehicle back out of the driveway every Sunday at the same time. And they're like, there's somewhere they're going every week. Maybe those are the little things that they notice. I want to live my life as a servant that brings him honor. And I want to be clear about this, and this is the most important part. You're not going to win people because of who you are, but because of who he is. So stop, stop trying to pretend. Don't make yourself out to be something you're not. Be, a, be the best true representation of Christ that you can be. And keep progressing forward. 
I realized that in and of myself, I have a very limited amount of endearing qualities, right? We all do. But Christ in me and what he has set me free from and who he has created me to be will be my witness to others. So that those who have seen my walk, those who know where I've been and see the man I am now, I'm hoping they're seeing something different. I'm hoping they're seeing some, some change. And let that be your testimony. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Listen, to be a true representative of Christ, man, we all fail. But I know that if I truly want to represent him well, I'm recognizing all these distractions in my life, all these worldly desires, all these things that steer me away and saying, God, I gotta do whatever I can to honor you. And so if that means putting that thing down, so be it. If it means deciding, you know what, I got a perfectly good running vehicle, I don't, I don't need that new one, that's just a lot. And then just accepting that and moving on. If it means, you know, that, that career path I had mapped out, that's such a worldly thing. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. But here's the key. It comes down to a heart that longs to surrender. So God's looking around and he's saying, I'm just looking for a heart that says, Lord, I'm yours. What I want you to do right now is I want you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. This, this response might come in way of repentance. It might come just because of you wanting to completely dedicate yourself more to God's work or what he wants to do in your life. But if the Holy Spirit is just working on you and saying, surrender, surrender unto me right now. And you need to respond to that. Would you stand if that's you? If your heart is longing out for surrender right now? Is there anyone here that says, God, that's me? Would you stand? Praise God. Praise God. Just lift your hands up to God right now. This is a moment to say, God, I'm yours. God, you see those here. Lord, you know, you know what's working on their lives. You know what's going on. And God, clearly they're responding to your Holy Spirit and they're saying, Lord, I, I have things to surrender to you. And Lord, some of these things might not even be inherently sinful but they can become an issue in our lives that distract us. And, and God, I pray that right now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give them the strength to stand against these fleshly desires and these things that pull them away for them to fully commit to what you have called them to. God, at one point in my life, I wanted to be an architect. But Lord, you had other plans. 
And God, here in this room, we have many people that, that, that they might have developed their own plans. And God, it's, it, it's, it's for good intention. But Lord, that might not be what you want. So God, I pray for just open hearts that surrender unto you to say, God, just use me. Use me today. Use me in the future, God. Just I'm open. I'm your vessel. But God, it requires that we be faithful in the small things. Lord, how our coworkers perceive us. Lord, how our neighbors watch us and what they see. God, how we speak to our family, Lord. May we have that presence of mind to be in and of Christ daily. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Give God a hand clap of praise.